This afternoon we confess together the Heidelberg Catechism questions and answers 83 and 85. Let's confess these together. What is the office of the keys? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and shut against unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven shut and open by Christian discipline? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, if any under the Christian name show themselves unsound, either in doctrine or in life, and after several brotherly admonitions do not turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church or to its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear from them also, or by them deny the holy sacraments and thereby excluded from the Christian communion, and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ, and if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the third mark of the church, discipline, we are reminded not only that it has a positive dimension, but a negative as well. Um, Help us to understand both of these dimensions in the care of your flock. Um, May we hear about our sin through the law and hear about salvation through Christ alone. In Christ's name, Amen. The scripture lesson is found on page 823 of your Pew Bibles. We hear from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Once again, the scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, found on page 823. Brothers and sisters, this is the holy word of God. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and friends, there are many churches in existence today, and many of these churches encourage great involvement in what are called church programs. There are often vast arrays of choices of different ministries of which one may be a part. But when it comes to the correctness of one's confession of the truth of the the Bible, including moral actions, there's really no accountability. There needs to be accountability. In other words, discipline, simply because Christ commands it. 
Furthermore, Christ teaches and the apostles teach that it has a great purpose. So listen to the words of our church order, uh, Article 51, about the purpose of church discipline. Since Christian discipline is spiritual in nature and exempts no one from the trial or punishment by civil authorities, so also civil government, uh, there must be... uh, I'm sorry... So also, besides civil punishment, there, needs to, there is need of ecclesiastical censure that God may be glorified, that the sinner may be reconciled with God and the church and his neighbor, and that offense may be removed from the church. And so what the article is saying here is that there is a distinction between um, the state government and the government of the church. The government has the power of the sword, which means that they can punish evildoers, throw them in prison, whatever, and the church doesn't have that sort of power. Uh, their power is described as being ministerial and declarative. That means the church has the power to minister to the sheep, help them out, but also to declare to them in the process what God demands of his people, the flock. And all of this is to be done under the watchful authority of the risen Christ. So church government, as we mentioned last week, is a biblical church government in which Christ is the king and head of the church and he uses officers, ministers, elders, and deacons to do things like a church discipline. But of course, as we compare this to our contemporary society and the way people don't like this, it it completely makes sense. I mean, kids, let me ask you. Do you like it when when your mom or dad says, Son, daughter, I'm going to discipline you? No, of course not. But also, as you grow older, surely you will agree that their discipline was necessary for your good and the good of the family. Well, in the same way, discipline is necessary in the church for Christ's glory and for your good, for the purity of the church. Now, in this particular sermon, we're going to look at the uh, uh, steps of discipline, we call them, according to Matthew 18. So here we have a church. We seek to honor Christ in all that we do through his word. What happens when there is sin in the church? What steps do we take? So we look at Matthew 18, and we see that there are three parts to this, which outline the sermon. First, there's private admonition. Secondly, there is what we would call sort of group admonition, where we bring in two or three, or one or two people privately still. And then we talk about a public censure, or we bring the church Uh, in an official way, into the situation. So that outlines the three parts of our sermon. So we begin with uh, private censure or private admonition from an individual. This is when uh, someone in the church sins against you or you notice someone sinning. Again, Matthew 18.15 says what? These are Jesus' words. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Of course, we could say sister as well. Well, the question is, what kind of sin is Christ talking about here? According to the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 85, and the Church Order 52, speaking of Matthew 18, it mentions sins of doctrine and life. So doctrine and life or conduct. Now this is important to discuss because often many think sin is just wrong moral action. Okay, so if somebody is 
you know, stealing or if they're lying, uh, cheating uh, in their uh, place of business, whatever, uh, we think that's really horrible. But if somebody uh, doesn't quite confess the Christian faith rightly, that's not such a big deal. But that is clearly wrong. How does Paul think about the Judaizers in the book of Galatians? Well, he's furious at them. He says, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Why? Because of wrong doctrine. Because they're preaching the wrong gospel. Correct biblical doctrine is critical as much as good, proper, biblical, moral action is. So both of these uh, things include sin that you might see your brother or sister in. You know, wrong moral action, we all get that. But also, if they confess wrongly, they are to be addressed in a sensitive way personally. But also, it's very important to point out that uh, the wrong belief or action must be clearly a violation of biblical law and not mere difference in opinion. And so, many well-meaning churches today will say, we need to you know, lock down on people that are sinning, but they go awry um, when they begin to point out differences of opinion that are not biblical. And so let's just get this out in the open to mention the big three. Dancing, drinking, and smoking. For whatever reason, in our nation particularly, uh, dancing, drinking, and smoke, smoking, at least they have a history of being really horrible things. Problem is, Bible nowhere says that dancing is wrong. It does not say drinking is wrong. It does not say smoking is wrong. But somebody will say, surely too much drinking is wrong. Of course, that's called drunkenness. The Bible says drunkenness is sinful. If you smoke too much, that would also be sinful because you're trashing your body. If you smoke ten packs of cigarettes a minute, it's probably not good. It's not impossible. So we need to be very clear about what is actual sin and what is just cultural opinion. Um, and in, in these things, we, uh, besides the big three, we could talk about uh, political views. Uh, a lot of times people will make big issues out of clothes or the kind of car you drive or the house that you have or uh, personal things you like to do, recreational things, and they make that the issue and say, hey, I'm going to confront you, brother or sister. I think that's a sin. And the brother or sister should say, tell me in the Bible where that's a sin. Very important to separate these things. In any church, there's going to be a variety of opinions. And if somebody doesn't wish to smoke, drink, um, or dance, that's fine. Leave them alone. But if somebody wishes to do that in a moderate sort of way, that's also um, allowed by the scriptures. So one really helpful category we have in the church is called adiaphora. That is a Greek word for things indifferent. There are things that are indifferent. If you want to dance, if you want to smoke, if you want to dance, drink, and smoke all at once, that's your, that's your freedom. You can do those things. Of course, again, in excess, that's the problem. So if you do these things to the detriment of your family and your pocketbook, that is sinful and must be addressed. But, brothers and sisters, we need to be clear about what is biblical sin and what is just opinion. So we must separate but if, in fact, the person is in sin, you must confront him or her privately. As Jesus says, between you and him alone. If his or her sin were public, then you would go directly to the consistory because it is necessary 
necessarily not public. So say uh, we don't have a person like this in our church, but if say somebody was a public official, like as in a mayor, governor, whatever, if they had done something publicly wrong, the consistory needs to know about it right away because everybody knows about it. So in Jesus' teaching, he makes it clear that the purpose of such a confrontation is not being a busybody, it is to gain your brother over. So you're encouraging the process of restoration. If somebody is in sin, they're in trouble, you're helping them when you uh, confront them with their sin. Okay, so that's very clear from Matthew 18. If somebody's in sin, you must go to him or her and confront them with that. It's very hard, but it's your duty as a member of the church. The question is, what if he or she doesn't listen to you? What do you do? Well, Matthew 18:16, Jesus says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is very important. The need for witnesses is based on the idea of confirming the truth of a matter objectively. And this is taken from or reflects Deuteronomy 19.15. Listen to this, it's very interesting. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that's been committed. Only in the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Therefore, witnesses, in the context of Matthew 18, help you in the process of determining what is really going on. So perhaps you confront somebody uh, with uh, perceived sin, and they say, well, I don't think I'm sinning. So you grab a witness or two, you go to them, and the witnesses say, I don't think this is a sin. This is not a sin at all. It's settled. Or, maybe in fact, the witnesses say, you know what, you're right, this is a problem, and we need to talk to this person. So you're, you're giving the person uh, sort of a, an objective context in which to see if they're wrong or right. But further, confronting others and their sin is a communal duty, not just an individualistic duty, not just for some you know, Christian uh, hitmen or women or standout Christians. And this must be emphasized, of course, in our individualistic society. No, there's a communal element here. You exist in the visible church where there are duties one to another. So Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's a sin, you, are, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, the you here in the original is plural. Uh, Paul is talking to the entire congregation. And very, very important as well, the spiritual ones here are not some special godly Christians, but the entire visible communion. After all, Paul uh, teaches that all the people in that church are spiritual. They are connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit, and they belong to him. So that's, that's Paul's intention here. So in the context of Matthew 18, some from this broader community must also help in the process of discipline. Also, Paul tells them not to be self-righteous in pointing out sin, since some of them, too, may be tempted. So this is the problem with sin, and especially if somebody thinks they're a special Christian, above the sin, as they go to confront their brother or sister, they may fall into the same sin. 
Nobody is excluded from that. Rather, they must confront in gentleness with a goal of restoration. And after all, the person, Paul says here, is um, like one who is caught in a sin. It's, it's like it's the, 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 the imagery here is of an animal being caught in a trap. And you know, it's, it's funny how we think of sin being something fun, uh, liberating, exciting. And it's certainly sin can be exciting, but it really at the end of the day is not fun. And it is slavery. Doing what God calls you to do is freedom. Because He created you in His image to serve Him. That's freedom. It's not always fun. And yes, sin is fun. But it's not freedom. It's bondage. So if a brother or sister is in sin, you help them by getting out of the trap, as it were. Okay, so first step, you notice somebody in sin, you go to them, uh, brother, sister, I think you're in sin, they go, not. So you bring a witness or two along and say, look, all of us here think you're in sin, we agree. They say, nope. So what do you do then? If a charge is established by the witnesses, and if a person still doesn't heed uh, instruction, Jesus says in verse 17, tell it to the church. And the church here refers to the visible assembly of the saints. So at this point, uh, since some of the broader community has been uh, asked to confront sin in private, the church to which is referred is a ruling body of the church. That in our case would be elders and ministers. After all, as Christ goes on to teach, the church binds and looses, that is, they bind people from the church, they excommunicate, uh, and they loose, that is, letting people into the church. And this reflects a heavenly reality. According to Matthew 16, who is given uh, this authority to bind and loose, which is explained as authority of the kings of, uh, kingdom of heaven, who is given this authority? According to Matthew 16, it is Peter. But not Peter the person or Peter the Pope. No, it's Peter the Apostle. So Jesus refers to here um, the office of Apostle. Then in Matthew 18, Jesus speaks to a plurality of people beyond the witnesses. That is the ruling leadership of the church. And also that is how Heidelberg 85 interprets Jesus' words when it says that the person must be complained to to the church or, in other words, to its proper officers. Then Article 53 of our church order more specifically says the consistory, that is the elders and ministers. Now, let's give some detail to the process of telling it to the church. Our church order, which was developed at the Synod of Dort in 1619, it's very old, reflects careful thought on the process of disciplining a brother or sister. So that is to say that Jesus makes the point here very clearly, but there's some of the specifics of steps that we need help with. Well, this is where the Synod of Dort and the church order um, are very helpful. According to the church order, there are two major steps in uh, church discipline, the second of which has three steps or parts. So the first step, reading from Matthew 19, or rather 18, the church uh, does what is called silent censure. Article 55 of the church order. Anyone whose sin is properly made known to the consistory 
and who then obstinately rejects the scriptural admonitions of the consistory shall be suspended from all the privileges of church membership, including the use of the sacraments. Okay, so now what the church order is speaking to is that if you've confronted an individual and they do not repent, if uh, witnesses go to the individual and they do not repent, they all think they're sin, and if the individual is brought before the consistory, telling it to the church, and they still don't repent, the consistory said, yes, you're in sin, then you do what is called silent censure. And that is what Article 55 speaks to here. They're suspended from all the privileges of the church. This means two main things. Uh, They wouldn't be allowed to vote, uh, to hold office. Um, And then also, they're not allowed to the communion table. That's very important to remember in this step that it's still silent censure. It is private. Nobody knows about this except the person, the accused, and the consistory at this point. Nobody else is to know about this. That's according to Jesus' words. Keep it private. Keep it within the church. Uh, let only those who are involved know about this. Okay, so there are two major steps when we get to the process of telling it to the church. The first step is silent censure. The second step is to proceed to the public action of excommunication. So now usually when people hear that in a Protestant church, they say, I thought I was in a Protestant church, not a Catholic church. What is this excommunication business? Well, clearly here it is biblical. Uh, As well, Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says to excommunicate a member who is an unrepentant sin. So the second step, telling it to the church, is to excommunicate the person, but there are three sub-steps to this. So the church has to be very careful when it begins this process. It is uh, sensitive, it must be humble, and not just reject somebody from the church. So okay, now we're on to the second step, which has three parts. Article 55, continued, says, First, the general idea of the second step is after suspension and subsequent admonitions, and before proceeding to excommunication, the impenitence of the sinner shall be publicly made known to the congregation, the offense explained, together with the care bestowed upon him, and repeated admonitions, so that the congregation may speak to him and pray for him. So the second step is uh, the actual um, uh, part right before excommunication. And that part has three steps. First, the name of the sinner, according to our church order, uh, need not be mentioned, that he may be somewhat spared. Okay, so it does allow for the name to be mentioned, but it doesn't have to be. So just so we understand the context, a person's been individually uh, exhorted, they don't repent. Witnesses have been brought, they don't repent. It's told to the consistory, they don't repent. They've been suspended from the sacraments in the church, they don't repent. And now the second step begins, the first of which, first part of the second step, is to announce to the congregation there's been sin in the church by an individual, they'll tell the general nature of the sin, then say, please pray for this person. And they will either let the uh, person's name out or not. Now, very important, this is not done during the worship service. It's done in a church meeting where only the members of that church are present. Still notice, there's a pretty high degree of secrecy here. I don't want to even mention the name yet. 
but it's possible to mention the name. Okay, then second, uh, the second step. The consistory shall seek the advice of classes for proceeding whereupon his name shall be mentioned. In other words, after the first step, nothing can be done until the consistory explains the situation to the classes, that is, the regional meeting of churches, without mentioning the name to them, and the classes gives advice to proceed with excommunication or not. Therefore, the consistory will again announce the situation to the church after asking classes, and if they have not mentioned the name, they will at this point. Okay, so we're on the second step right now. The first thing that was done is, brothers and sisters, there's a person who's fallen into sin. They don't repent. This is the general nature of the sin. Now, after the elders and ministers go to the classes, and classes says, yes, proceed with communication, then they'll come back again and say to the church, now, um, Mr. Whoever is in sin. This is what's happened. Please pray for him specifically. In the third, church order says, the congregation shall be informed that unless he repents, he will be excluded from the fellowship of the church so that his excommunication, if he remains impenitent, may take place with the full knowledge of the church. The interval between the steps shall be left to the discretion of the consistory. Okay, so the third step, even before they're excommunicated, again, uh, the congregation is, is um, informed the person's name, the nature of the sin, the fact that if they do not repent, they will be excommunicated. They're not excommunicated yet. And the steps between these things is left to the consideration of the consistory. So now, Article 56, if these steps of discipline, having been carried out in a loving manner, do not bring about repentance, but rather harden the sinner in his ways, the consistory shall proceed to the extreme remedy namely excommunication, an agreement with the word of God, and with the use of the appropriate liturgical form. So then the final thing is a private meeting of the church with members present only, in which you say, this person is now excommunicated. They are not a member of this church. They cannot participate in the activities of the church, voting, holding office, sacraments, and now they're not considered a Christian. They're outside of the communion. This is what Jesus says to do, in Matthew 18, he says, regard them as a tax collector or a Gentile. That's shorthand for excommunication. They're no longer a Christian. Also, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says the same thing. I hand them over to Satan. Now, people will ask, well, what does that mean? They can't come to church? No, of course they can come to church. In fact, that's where they should be each Sunday. They should listen to the gospel now as a non-Christian. And they need to hear that gospel and believe. They just can't partake of the supper. Also, just to get to this question, because it comes up all the time, well, what, do you shun the person? You have nothing to do with them? No. You can be with them, you can spend time with them, but you must make it clear to them that they are no longer a Christian, despite what they say. Well, the good news is, in Articles 57 and 58 go on to explain this, that if the person does in fact repent, if they are restored, they are let back into the church. And you use, again, the appropriate liturgical form. That is, you read a standard uh, statement that says, now they are again in the church of God. Does that mean that they were elect and not elect? No. If they come back into the church, they were elect the whole time. They just were a wandering sheep. They didn't lose their salvation. They just came back into the, the fold after a great time of uh, struggling with sin.
And so, brothers and sisters, uh, church discipline is a very serious and necessary action of the church. The Heidelberg Catechism Answer 85 makes the point that being excluded from the visible church is to be excluded from the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ. Therefore, it says that if a person is in unrepentant sin, they are ultimately, what? Excommunicated from the Christian communion and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. And so notice that this summarizes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20, where he gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the uh, ruling body of the church, in our case the consistory, by which to do these things, a very serious and solemn duty. But at the end of the day, it is best for the glory of uh, Christ's church and best for uh, people in the church, for the purity of the church. So in conclusion, uh, brothers and sisters, I think it's helpful to think of an analogy of how this usually works in our families. All families know that uh, kids, for instance, can't do whatever they want. Uh, they can't you know, run a drug lab in their house and do all these terrible sorts of things, and their parents are going to say, that's fine. They say, no, you, you, you have freedom, but not that much freedom. You, this, you can't do that. And what do the parents typically do if the, if, if the child is beginning to wander and do crazy stuff in the household? They warn them. If they don't repent, they warn them again. Maybe they bring some outside help and warn them. But finally, if the child does not repent, typically they're told to leave the household. But of course, the mom and dad love the child and that's exactly why they do such a radical thing. They say, if we let you in, in our house, if you exist here, uh, carrying out the sin, we give tacit approval to it. We can't. It's wrong. We love you and, and doing these things will destroy you. So you let them out of the house. And you've heard stories like this. That'll happen. What happens? The kid comes back and says, you know what? What a fool I was. I was trapped in my sin, whatever. They come back. They repent. Everything's good again. Of course, that doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. And it serves to illustrate as the parents love their children doing this, so God loves you. When he puts you into a church and he takes care of you through the third mark of the church, making sure not just officers of the church, but everybody is looking after one another, not prying into their business, but praying for them and helping them and looking after them. And that, brothers and sisters, honors and glorifies Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.